0: Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Patrick Robinson, Director of Operations for Steelhead Alley Outfitters. We're on the edge of fall steelhead season, and Patrick and I take a deep dive into all things steelhead and steelhead alley. I think you're really going to like this interview. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is, tie better flies faster. And they produce the only vice that truly spins. To see for yourself, visit www.nor-vice.com. Even better, reach out to the folks at Norvice for a virtual demo. Contact details are in the show notes. Now, on to the interview. Well, Patrick, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thanks, Marvin. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our chat this evening, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our folks to share their earliest fishing memory. Uh,
1: Earliest fishing memory. Well, um, I guess the earliest uh, fishing memory I would have without, uh, you know, without uh, defaulting back to, uh, you know, photographs that I've seen from my parents over the years, I would say probably the earliest memory that I can recall myself would be when I was probably in uh kindergarten or first grade uh we had made a move over to Illinois for just a couple of short years um uh, with my dad's job transfer and we were uh and are to this day big waterfowlers and so we were on the Mississippi River and while my dad and a couple of his buddies were building duck blinds, I was sitting in the old uh, aluminum John boat, uh, catching anything that would tug on a night crawler. <laughs> and uh, I can remember catching, uh, you know, different species of gar and channel cats and uh, flathead catfish, you name it, you know, even some uh, freshwater eels and that kind of thing. So that's probably my earliest fishing memory that I can recall personally, if I didn't, you know, look at photographs from earlier than that time period with my dad and that kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. And so when did you move to the dark side of fly fishing?
1: Well, um, I guess there's, an, a, there's a, an unofficial answer to that question and, and an official. Uh, you know, I it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm going to say, eight to 10 years of age maybe um that's my best guess uh i can remember traveling around with my uh my mother uh who was kind of a, a craft artisan of sorts and my grandfather who was a uh a master waterfowl carver and we would go to all kinds of different uh craft shows or waterfowl carving shows and that kind of thing and i was at a um a place called connor prairie uh, just, I believe if memory serves to the east of Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I hail from Southern Indiana. And at that, uh, at that show that we were at, there was, there was somebody there. I'm assuming, you know, at this stage in life, that it was probably a local fly fishing outfitter or, or fly shop or something like that. that was set up there and they were doing casting demonstrations and all kinds of different things. And I was totally, enamored by that point in my life man i was every time i can grab a fishing pole and hit a water hole i was there and so when i saw the fly fishing man it just like stole my imagination and so uh at that point i kind of started you know doing the best i could to look into it but you know i'm I'm 45 so i I come from that generation that uh, precedes uh the internet you know so back then we had to read stuff you know we couldn't go to the internet you had to go to the library or know somebody or or whatnot. And to be honest with you, Southern Indiana at that time and probably still to this day wasn't a hotbed for fly fishermen. So uh, I, I resorted to going to Kmart back when there were Kmarts around, much like Walmarts. And uh, I picked up a cheap old fly rod from from Kmart and started fishing for, um, you know, any, literally anything that I could get to come up to the surface and, and grab a fly. Now, mind you, I had no clue what I was doing. I, I didn't know the difference between a fly line and a leader, and and uh, thus the frustration mounted. Like, why can't I catch fish on this fly rod? And so it was very much something that I just kind of dabbled with. Um, I can remember going to one of my favorite smallmouth streams or bass streams because I used to catch a lot of, of spotted bass along with smallmouth in some of those local streams. And I thought, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to catch bass on this fly rod. And that just did not happen. <laughs> I remember. I remember saying to myself on that stream one day, I'm like, I'm done with this fly fishing thing. I'm never doing it again, you know, but I just kept coming back to the challenge of it all. And so I continued to mess with it throughout my childhood. So that's the unofficial answer. The the official side really happened about 1997. Uh, 1997, I had just, uh, just been married and, uh, ended up out in Southwest Missouri uh and southwest missouri has a fair amount of uh of fly fishing waters out there and i went to the uh the bass pro headquarters store while i was out there and i'm like listen i'm going to be close to this stream i want to catch a trout on a fly rod i know nothing talk to me like i'm stupid they did they got me set up and that day i went out and caught my first trout on a fly rod and that was all she wrote. I had enough information to understand everything that I'd done wrong as a kid. And uh, from that point on, uh, if you want to call it a sickness, uh, that's what it developed into.
0: Absolutely. And so you kind of uh, got this set up a little bit later in life when you uh, weren't a kid anymore. Who are some of the folks that have mentored you to where you are today?
1: Wow. Um, You know, I probably don't have any kind of a, maybe a stereotypical answer that a lot of other guys are going to have again. You know, when I, when I got into it in 1997, the internet was still fairly new. There wasn't, I mean, stuff like, like we're doing right now, this stuff just didn't exist. You know, you, you didn't get to talk to guides. You didn't get to talk to uh, fly shops, especially in an area where there, where there were none. The closest fly shop to me was an hour to two hours away. And, um, I did not get to, uh, just walk into a fly shop and ask all kinds of questions. Um, so basically uh, the long and short of it is, is I learned most of what I learned through the school of hard knocks. Um, I can remember, um, if you were going to say that, that I learned from somebody or was inspired by anybody, it probably came not long after I started into fly fishing, uh, when I started dabbling in fly tying, uh, and, and some of the old, uh, the old timers, um, that have now, uh, you know, passed away and, and, uh, passed the torch to the next generation, like Lefty Cray. You know, I remember getting a, a cheap, you know, you know, <laughs> pretty much a junk fly tying vice, you know, and a kit from Bass Pro. And, and there was a video with Lefty in there, you know, teaching you how to tie a lefty's deceiver or, or you know, lefty's version of a, of a woolly bugger. And so I drew a lot of inspiration from uh, a couple of the old timers like that, but I really didn't know. uh, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends really that even fly fished. If I did have, it was because I introduced them to it. So they were actually behind me in the learning curve. So I made a lot of mistakes. That's why when people come and fish with me, I'm like, you know, I know the value of a guide because I never had one. And when I did finally hire a guide and, and the first guide I hired was actually a guide out on the white river in, in Northern Arkansas, short little Welshman, uh, by the name of Davey Watton. that was the first time I'd ever fished with a guide. And in one day he gave me more to chew on. And, and I learned more in that one day than I had in all the previous years I'd ever been fly fishing. So, um, so I, I really didn't have anybody that, that was around to even inspire me other than a couple of, uh, couple of recordings, you know, it was, uh. I guess, fortunate, unfortunate. I mean, when you learn through the school of hard knocks, you know, you, you, you learn the hard way, but you, but you learn well, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, it's definitely durable. So, you know, Patrick, when did you get the steelhead bug?
1: Well, uh, you know, when I, I was in Northwest Ohio, uh, when I first, you know, if you want to say officially started going after fish on the fly. And so at that point, um, you know, I had kind of made that same uh, presumption that a lot of people do about fly fishing that it's all about trout, right? Um, you know, I grew up um, bass fishing, uh, got out of high school, fished bass tournaments. You know, all, all of my closest friends, they got out, of, they graduated high school, got factory jobs, bought nice trucks, and matching bass boats, right? So I had guys around me all the time if I wanted to go bass fishing and fish tournaments and all that kind of thing. So I was all about the warm water you know back then we didn't even we didn't even use terms like warm water and cold water. Uh we didn't have trout where I was at. So as far as I was concerned, if, if you weren't fishing for bass, you weren't fishing, you know. When I got to Northwest Ohio, I started started fly fishing. I kind of lost sight of that first love of uh you know warm water species and the different bass that I used to chase and it was all about the trout. So I ventured to the south uh and that's what I did mostly Uh, was venture to the south to the mad river which is one of the uh, stock streams um it was stocked more in the past than they're they're stocking now but uh but that was the only trout fishery within striking distance of me and so i would say it was probably a couple of years into it maybe uh that i started catching wind uh i think back in back in that day uh there was a in the early uh infancy days of the uh, internet and there was a, a site that uh came up, uh, called the, I think think it was called the Steelheaders site. And, uh, I started discovering that there were steelhead just about as close to me, uh, as there were the trout to the South of me. And so I started, uh, traveling to the nearest steelhead stream to me at the time, which was the vermilion still holds a very special place in my heart. Uh, but again, I was as green as the day, day is long. Um, I had, I had no, concept or clue uh about you know different leaders and and tippet types and sizes and and what's appropriate for what species and whatnot so it was it was a couple of years into it that i discovered steelhead uh and it it became that uh the newest passion i mean uh you know everybody who, who fishes for smaller trout when they discover that they can catch a uh a steelhead, you know, that's 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 going to double the size or triple the size of what they're used to catching. It's a it's a pretty exciting thing to go after. But they, uh, it took me two years before I finally bagged one, just because of my inexperience uh, and and my my sheer ignorance uh, of, of how to rig properly and and that kind of thing. So uh, probably probably just shy of uh, two thousand uh, when I really started pursuing them uh, the first time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, steelheaders are a really different breed, you know, even guys that have it figured out, sometimes the fish just don't cooperate. What do you think it takes, Patrick, to be a successful steelhead angler?
1: Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, To be a successful steelhead angler, I I would just say, you know, stick with it. Um, You know, I... I guess that could be answered differently for different areas, but for us specifically up here on uh, the region known as Steelhead Alley, you know, our streams are designated spate streams, uh, which means they're um, they're dependent upon rainfall to maintain levels. And so uh, the term that you'll often hear uh, used to describe our streams is that they're flashy, uh, meaning that they're fast to rise and they're fast to drop. And so You know, everybody at some point in time or another that is a, uh, an outdoorsman, they'll hear the phrase, you should have been here yesterday. And, uh, I'll tell you, there is nothing that could be further or there's nothing that could be any truer about the sport of steelheading than you should have been here yesterday because, you know, there are certain water colors and temperatures that, uh, that steelhead are just more agreeable, uh, in. And so uh, sticking with it, you know, most of the guys that, uh, that, that don't have, day in and day out availability to hit the water or they don't live streamside uh to hit it at a moment's notice. You know, they're they're relegated to the weekends. They're relegated to to hit what they uh hit the water when they can, not when they want. And so I I would say just, you know, to be successful, stick with it because um eventually you're gonna hit it right. Eventually it's gonna make sense. And uh, and if you're not a guy that can spend a lot of time on the stream, one of the greatest things—and this may sound really self-serving—but one of the greatest things you can do to be a successful steelhead angler is hire a guide. And I and and I say that, having having you know walked the toughest road of of fly fishing you could possibly uh, possibly have walked. Had I hired a guide, man, I would have been dialed in on the sport so much earlier, and and uh, and had fish to hand a lot earlier. And so just stick with it, man. If you got the resources, hire a guide. It it takes years off your learning curve.
0: Yeah, I really, um, you know, I'm not a guide and I endorse that advice, you know, because I think, you know, all of us, um, I don't think I've ever met anyone that fishes that says they get to fish as much as they want to. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, you know, for those of us who don't get to fish as much as we want to, to me, the biggest thing you can do if you can swing it is to book a guide, you know, one, you know, even if they... Aren't, you know, I call some guides are teaching guides. Some guides don't like doing that, but most do. But then just to have someone who's intimately familiar with what's going on, where you're going to be fishing. Yeah. So, so Patrick, you're originally a Hoosier. Uh, how did you find your way to Steelhead Alley?
1: Well, the, uh, the long and short of it is, is uh, basically, you know, what got me to Ohio uh, was, uh, my wife and, uh, employment. Uh, and so, uh, that's how I ended up in Northwest Ohio. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, due to, uh, other employment, I ended up moving over actually down to Columbus and then up to uh, Northeast Ohio. So that's kind of how I got into the heart of steelhead country.
0: Got it. And for our listeners who don't know, you know, where is steelhead alley?
1: Yeah, so steelhead alley is uh, is a geographical location. Uh, easiest way to define it is it's the southern shore uh, of Lake Erie, uh, basically from about the middle of uh, Ohio eastward clear to uh, to Buffalo, and uh, actually when I built a built a website for our company, uh, I uh, you know put a map together of Steelhead Alley that I've now seen replicated all over the place. It's amazing what uh, Google uh, does with your photos. And I've seen that photo probably in more locations than any other photo that I've ever edited. Uh, but it, it, but it lifts all of the different streams that flow into, uh, Lake Erie out of the States of Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. And so, uh, just about every trickle, uh, that comes off the Southern shore, into lake erie we will get steelhead in it and so that's that's the uh where the term steelhead alley comes from because the i-90 corridor uh interstate 90 uh basically parallels the lake shore uh and so uh, it, between i-90 and uh the lake erie um shoreline uh it just kind of got the the nickname over the years of steelhead alley
0: yeah very cool and i know you know that um you were with Steelhead Alley Outfitters when, you know, Greg Senyo owned the operation and, you know, uh, control has changed hands, but you've been there a while. Give us a little bit of the history of, uh, Steelhead Alley Outfitters.
1: Yeah. So actually the, the name Steelhead Alley Outfitters, uh, started out with Greg Senyo, uh, back when he was just a kid, uh, one man, one man operation kind of, you know, he grew up, uh, you know, right on the banks there of, of uh, Elk Creek in Pennsylvania, and I uh, started doing some steelhead guiding even when he was in high school. Uh Greg and I didn't meet until 2007. Uh and there was actually uh uh you know blogging was really just becoming a, a big thing uh during that time and there was actually a a a blogging site that had just come out uh called flyfish blogger. Uh, it's not in, uh, it's not even in existence anymore. Uh, but what they did is they encouraged fly fishermen to come in and set up their own blog accounts and, uh, and they had incentives for, for blogging your fly fishing excursions. And uh, I was the top blogger on that, on that site. And Greg just happened to be, uh, an editor, a field editor for a newsprint, uh, regional newsprint publication at the time. And, uh, they were looking for some other people to write and he happened to stumble onto my blog and he read every entry that I had ever, ever written, uh, in, uh, one day. And he managed to, uh, track me down, uh, through technology. And, uh, next thing you know, we were, we were talking and the long and short of it is, uh, uh, he asked me to, to be a writer for this, uh, this publication. And I started writing, uh, my own column for that publication Uh, and then shortly thereafter he approached me, uh, with the, uh, the idea. He said he had always wanted to start a uh, fly fishing guide service, but he didn't want to do it alone. And, uh, and so we decided to get together and, uh, go do some fly fishing. It was, uh, it was early that year in, in March. I remember because the Grand River was blown out, uh, and it was just, uh, chocolate milk so we hit one of the smaller feeder streams and it was blowing blowing ice out and, and everything else and, and we caught a few steelhead that day together uh and it was that day uh that we decided we were going to uh we were going to put steelhead alley outfitters on the map and so uh i guess as a as a company uh greg and i started it together back in 2007 so i've, I've literally been with steelhead alley outfitters as a uh, as an outfitter uh if you will uh since its inception
0: yeah, very cool. And I mean, I know that, uh, you know, in addition to steelhead alley outfitters that you guys have, uh, kind of partnership relationships with some of the best shops and outfitters in the upper Midwest. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those guys?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll never forget when I, uh, when I got, when I kind of came into the, uh, into the industry, uh, there was a guy who had been in the industry for quite a while. He says, there's one thing you got to understand Patrick about the fly fishing industry. He says, he says, it's like a bunch of old beddies sitting around a campfire, you know, a bunch of hens in the hen house, constantly cackling, right? He says, this industry is far smaller than you would ever imagine it is. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, there is nothing that has turned out to be more true about the fly fishing industry than that. Uh, it is far smaller than, than, uh, what most people realize. And, uh, it's not hard to, uh, come to know people uh, coast to coast, honestly. Uh, so, uh, mind you it was very easy for us to get to know uh some of the guys who are right here in the immediate uh midwest uh whether that was mad river outfitters or uh our partner uh shop right now uh schultz outfitters uh mike schultz was was uh running uh hosted trips down here uh pretty early on uh with us and obviously because of our uh our uh relationship uh both with uh with them and, and other um other companies in the industry like orvis and that kind of thing uh we got to be pretty uh pretty good friends pretty quick um yeah you know, early on when we first started this schultz outfitters what didn't even exist uh you know they've only been in existence uh i think they're if i'm not mistaken they're coming up on year seven or year eight uh and and uh steelhead alley outfitters you know like i said we started it in 2007 so we've been in existence about twice as long so from basically day 1 um you know uh, we had a great relationship with uh with Sheltie because he's he's been in the business as a guide for uh a lot more years than that but finally decided to open up a shop and uh and, and quickly took the midwest by storm uh, as as you may know And uh, so it was just, it was easy for us to, uh, to become fast friends and make them our home shop. You know, Steelhead Alley Outfitters, we get the question all the time, like, where's your shop located? And we, we don't have a shop, right? We're, we're not a brick and mortar location. We are a guide service, uh, that operates within a geographical area of Steelhead Alley. So, um, so yeah, you know, Schultz Outfitters, we've been partnering with them since day one. And, uh, uh, they've always been a great support of us. We've tried to do the very best we can to be a support of them. Uh, I do, uh, all of the hosted destinations for Steelhead Alley Outfitters, uh, and, uh, and we offer those, uh, to the, uh, Schultz Outfitters clientele as well. And so we do get a lot of cross-pollinization between the two entities that way. And so it's just been a great fit. You know, they, uh, they're constantly knocking it out of, out of the park and, um, they're just, they're just, they do everything they do with excellence. And that, uh, that definitely lines up with, uh, with my philosophy personally. And, uh, I just like to surround myself with, with people, uh, of like minds, you know, keep your head down and and plow ground.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you're the director of operations. What does a normal day look like for you?
1: (laughs) Oh man, I don't know if there is a normal day. Uh, every day is different, you know, um, I don't sit at the, sit at the, uh, Desk answering phones all day long, but it, it can it can be uh, some days the phone rings off the hook and I don't get anything else done. Other days I'm working on, you know, trying to update websites or putting together e-blasts or calling clients, uh, calling other outfitters in in uh, destination, uh, hot spots to try and uh, figure out where our next hosted, uh, you know, trip may or may not be. Um, other times I'm just interfacing with other guides uh, locally or, or abroad, you know, just learning what I can. Uh, and some days I break free from everything and I go fish.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. You know, it's kind of like if you don't want to fish anymore, own a fly shop, right?
1: Yeah, you got that right, buddy.
0: <laughs> so That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, in, in addition to guiding for steelhead, I mean, you guys guide for smallmouth too. How was your smallie season this year?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, if you want to say there is, there is any kind of a, a weakness, um, about our company, it would be the fact that it, that we named it Steelhead Alley Outfitters, right? People, uh, people can't seem, uh, at times to get past the name Steelhead Alley, right? We are definitely more, uh, than just a steelhead guide service. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of fish, uh, a lot of different species in our area. Uh, whether that's cold water or, uh, or warm water. And so, uh, you know, most of the people who, uh, fish for steelhead here, uh, on the alley know that there's also a pretty ridiculous, uh, smallmouth, uh, spawn, uh, in the spring, uh, of the year. And we get the big lake run smallmouth. We're not, we're not talking, you know, uh, smaller resident fish. We're talking about, you know, if you hit it right, you, you could, you could crack a six pound hen in the early season, uh, in those lower, lower river runs, you know, that are coming in to spawn. And so we have done that for years and years and years, but it's always been a challenge, uh, just because, and I, I think it kind of, uh, I think to be honest with you, I think the steelhead, uh, often overshadow, uh, the awesomeness of some of the warm water species that we have here, including the smallmouth. Cause we guide for smallmouth and have for years, and, uh, and, and just the last couple of years, we have really started diving into, uh, fishing for pike. And, uh, and these are things that people just typically haven't done a whole lot of, I mean, you'll get in, you'll get some guys that really appreciate the smallmouth game, but I just think that the steelhead really have cast a shadow on the game. And so, uh, so we're really doing a, a lot of promoting that and getting out and, and enjoying it. And I'm going to be completely honest, you know, after, after guiding steelhead for 12 years, um. I've really returned to my first love. You know, I told you about how as a kid, I used to, you know, run around and hit some of these streams for spotted bass and smallmouth. And uh, and now that I've gotten back into uh, that game on the fly rod, there's just, uh, I don't know, there's there's a, a, an awesome awesomeness of coming back to that first love. Uh, and I've, it's like I've rediscovered um, how cool those species really are. and, and and getting, you know, talking about the, the Northern Pike game, uh, you know, they, they kind of get the reputation of not being the best fighters in the world. It's kind of like a walleye, you know, people want to catch walleye to eat, not necessarily because they're, uh, they're the best fight in the world, but you know, there is nothing like watching a pike chase down a fly and eat. It happens in the blink of an eye, but it's the most explosive, awesome, uh, takes that, that you're going to see. Um, and so we've really enjoyed that as well. So, uh, you know, the steelhead really overshadows things and we're really doing what we can to, to help people know, uh, that we, that we guide far beyond, uh, just steelhead and we get out there and enjoy, uh, all the resources that we have close. Um, so yeah, the smallmouth game is, has, has always kind of been a part of what we do. It just hasn't really shown through, uh, because the steelhead are, are just such a big game, you know, here in our area.
0: Yeah. It's also helpful too, right? Cause it, you know, if you like to fish, you generally like to fish for everything, and so you, it actually allows you to extend your fishing season. You know, once the spring steelhead thing kind of goes to the side of the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said earlier, you know, our streams are spate streams, so uh, that means that in the summertime, uh, even our biggest waters, sometimes you can hop, skip, and jump your way across them with with you know barely getting your feet wet. Uh, so, uh, so what that means is is you know that. Uh, the streams don't always fish like some people would expect, uh, expect them to. And so I think people, once they see the river levels drop to, you know, barely, barely moving that they don't think there's anything there to do. And, and to be quite honest with you, we kind of shift when it comes to chasing smallmouth. Uh, you know, we shift from, uh, fishing, uh, our steelhead streams in April and May, uh, and, and maybe early June, uh, about that time frame, we, we shift inland and we start fishing a lot of streams that don't dump into uh to lake erie instead they may flow into the ohio river uh uh, because those rivers are they gonna are they gonna come down a little bit to summer pool of course they will uh but they're not spate streams like uh like the streams that we have you know they're they're uh some some of the waters are spring fed others are tail races uh you know i mean there's any any you got all kinds of different streams you know um, but those inland rivers don't, uh, don't oftentimes drop out, uh, the way, uh, some of our, uh, Lake Erie streams do. And so we, we've really been getting around and hitting, hitting all the water available to us, you know, within, within three hours of where I live, we're hitting it all, you know?
0: Got it. And so to kind of come back to steelhead, you know, you guys fish three seasons, you fish fall, winter, and spring, and, you know, we're right on the cusp of the fall season. How are things looking?
1: Well, right now we're still, uh, we're still waiting for the, the big rains, you know, about, I guess maybe three, four weeks ago now, we, we got uh, a storm that came through that dropped about three or four inches of rain. That'd be really good to have about right now. <laughs> you know, so this is, uh, you know, we're just days away from, uh, from October and October is always kind of considered our early season month, uh, that kind of kicks, kicks things off. Uh, but that's typically on low water. Uh, so from this point on, uh, any major rain we get that, that even bumps the streams up in the slightest is going to bring fish in. So if we were to get a four inch rain right now, we would have, we would have tons of fish, uh, spread out probably through the, the four first five, six, seven miles of, of river, uh, cause those fish waste no time when water's high pushing up. So at this point, we're really just waiting for that, that first major rain, uh, to distribute fish throughout the system. And then it's going to be game on.
0: Yeah. And I guess what I understand is it's almost like the fish are stacked up in the lake, just waiting really for the water to drop the drawbridge so they can go upstream.
1: They are. Yeah. And, uh, and this time of year, one of the things that we like to do, if somebody really wants to get out, um, you can, oftentimes you can go down and actually do some fishing in the surf. Uh, if you can find stretches of beach, uh, you know, where you can walk, um, I would, I would compare it to like some of the, uh, some of the striper fishing that I've done in the ocean, you know, where you find fish cruising right along the edge or, or, you know, snook cruising right along the edge of the, of the surf. And you can look out, you know, when the, when the water is right, you can look out and see the, the schools, uh, swimming along, uh, and, and, you know, use long rods and, uh, you know, long casts, uh, some sink tip lines, some bigger streamers and just strip streamers and, and they will aggressively chase flies. Uh, without a doubt. And, uh, and when you catch them in the open water, sometimes they're even more fun than they are in the stream because they've got endless, uh, you know, endless water to, to, uh, try and get away. And so, uh, and they're as fresh as they're ever going to be out there. So you can do that, or you can even get, uh, you know, you can get out in boats and, uh, and chase them right there in, in the, in the mouths. But yeah, they'll stack up, uh, they'll stack up in big numbers, huge numbers out there in the harbors and, uh, and just off the, uh, the uh, mouths of some of those smaller streams.
0: Yeah. So you, you get the push of rain, the water comes up, it's like uh, blowing the whistle and they take off upstream. You know, where are you going to find those early fall steelhead and, you know, how are you going to fish them?
1: Well, the early fall steelhead are not going to be hard to find. Um, you know, and the reason being uh, again, coming back to, you know, the fact that our, our streams are flashy, you know, they're spate streams, So we get a big rain, we can literally get, you know, an inch and a half of rain, tomorrow and and have it all fall within an hour so there's major runoff and those streams would immediately respond by pulsing up and those fish would come in and within 24 to 36 hours some of those streams are going to be right back down low and clear again and so when that happens those fish are going to be easy to find because they're going to find the deepest holes in the stream and most of the rivers are going to go clear enough that you're actually going to be able to see them so Sometimes in that early season, you may come up on a hole and you may see 60 steelheads sitting in gin clear water, right? And so that can be extremely difficult to deal with um, if you don't know what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, a lot of guys get super frustrated because they're like, I see all these fish, but none of them will bite. Well, there's reasons for that. If, they, if you can see them, they can certainly see you. Um, and so uh, you've got to be careful how you approach. Uh, they, they're definitely going to be more apt to uh, to take flies early and late, you know, in low light conditions, uh, in in uh, middle of the day, again, high sun, um, you know, they're hunkered down, man. They're 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 doing what they can to keep their heads low uh, because it's kind of like being in the spotlight, if you will. So oftentimes, in those uh, those kinds of conditions, you know, we'll uh, we'll try and get in early, uh, strip streamers. Uh, sometimes those early fish will be aggressive to chase down streamers in, in the early light. Uh, you know, some guys we'll even revert to like straight up trout tactics, you know, not to say that we don't use trout tactics when we're, when we're steelheading on a normal day. But when I say straight up trout tactics, I'm talking like dry and dropper rigs, like ditch the indicator and you're throwing like a Chernobyl, uh, with a, you know, with a size 18 dropper nymph off the back. Right. Uh, the problem is, is even when our water gets low and clear like that, um, it also slows the flow. We don't have high gradient streams, so you're not getting a lot of turbulent water. Uh, you're not getting, you know, the type of water where you can throw a cast and, you know, and within a split second, that fly is past the fish. I mean, there's there's times where you're literally throwing that fly out there and that steelhead he swims up to your fly and he's like, no, that's a size 18, uh, you know, Daiichi hook, you know, that looks like, I, I think that, I think the bend on that, was, you know, that's a caddis hook, you know? So... They've got all day and then some to look at your flies and pick them apart, and so it can it can be challenging in that early, that early low clear water. You got to know what you're doing and how to approach them.
0: Got it. And so you know, and as we move into the season, you know, it starts to get really cold, gets icy, and things slow down. What does it look like for winter steelhead?
1: Yeah. So so winter steelhead. Uh, you know, if I were to if I were to circle back, I, you know, I totally agree with your assessment that we've got fall, winter, and spring. But I would say that probably 95% of people, um, don't even fish the winter. Um, you know, there's primarily, uh, fall and there's spring, uh, because by the time winter really rolls in, if you, if you really want to look at, you know, when it's officially winter, you're looking at late December, right? December 21st, I believe is, uh, is the official date of of the set in for winter on a, on most years. We don't get, but, uh, a week or two maybe a little more before most of our streams completely freeze up uh and sometimes they don't give way until um the latest i've ever seen the streams blow out was the end of march right so that's where we're actually into spring at that point uh so uh, there are numerous years where where winter we we can't even we can't even access those fish now they're there they don't leave the river they stay in the river all winter long but they're under ice and we can't get to them so, uh, I would say on the average year, we have a fall season and a spring season. Uh, but like this last year, it was unprecedented. Uh, we could have fished literally, uh, from October all the way through until the steelhead left in May. And, uh, but most people didn't realize, even with it being warmer, you know, just out of habit, people think that the streams are, uh, aren't fishable in, in the, in the middle of the winter. And, uh, but winter can be a phenomenal, uh, experience. Not only does the scenery, um, change and, uh, and do the rivers, uh, become very solitary and quiet. Um, but you can have some phenomenal days out there, you know, the, do the, the fish do become more lethargic, you know, as the, as the water, uh, gets colder and uh, they're not, they're not going to fight with the, with the, you know, the, the piss and vinegar, if you will, of, uh, of an early season fish that's that's right out of the lake. Uh, but they're definitely there. They're definitely willing to eat. They're not going to chase as far. Uh, so people say, what's the secret to catching fish in, in, in the, uh, the deep winter months? Uh, it's knowing where the fish are going to be and, uh, and putting that, that offering right in front of them. Make it as easy for them as possible because they don't want to spend any more energy than is necessary for survival. Right. So whereas in October, no, early November, you may be able to get a fish to, to uh, chase a, a streamer. 12 feet you'll be lucky to get a fish to move 12 inches in the in the cold of winter uh if they don't if they don't deem it necessary right so you got to know where those fish are going to be sitting and uh and bump them on the nose you know but winter can be a can be a lot of fun i've got some clients that have fished with me over the years say some of their most memorable days were those days uh late december where we got you know eight to ten inches of fresh snow overnight the the you know the stream was a winter wonderland not another angler anywhere to be seen on the stream. Um, fish coming to hand, hot cup of soup for lunch. It just it just makes for good memories, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know if we conventionally you, you're gonna have a, a few weeks where you can fish before you get iced over. you know how does that transition into spring work? What does it look like? How do the fish behave? and how do you how do you target them?
1: Yeah, so the, the transition, like I said, can, can, it can really take place anytime, but it's, on a standard year, you're looking at, uh, at ice out. Um, if we're lucky, we'll get one of those, uh, those, uh, warm ups in, in February, uh, where we just get that unseasonably warm snap that comes through and it's enough to, to maybe get a rainstorm instead of a snowstorm and it pushes the rivers up and breaks that ice up and starts, starts, you know, early. Uh, pushing that ice out and, and breaking it up. Um, so those are some of the gre- greatest windows uh, because this is what people don't understand. Every push of water that we get brings in fish. And let me explain that. It's kind of a, kind of a rabbit trail here, but let me explain that. People are like, well, I, you know, I thought, you know, that that steelhead spawned in the fall. And my answer is they do. Some people say, well, I thought they spawned in the spring. And i say they do. And they go, what? And I'm like, well, Pennsylvania stops a fall spawning strain and Ohio stocks a spring spawning strain so literally starting in late September early October as soon as we start getting good rains if the river pushes up we're going to have fresh fish coming in same thing happens in February if we get a good rain instead of a snow and it pushes that river level up those spring fish the the, the little manistee strain that we get from Michigan that Ohio stocks in the streams here in Ohio We get that first push in February. You better believe that some of those big early season hens are going to be coming in with that, with that push out of ice. So it'll happen early February or mid February. Uh, sometimes it it typically seems to be somewhere around the beginning of March. Uh, and on a really nasty year like we had, I don't know, probably six, eight years ago, um, you know, it may not happen till the end of March, but that's, that's very rare. But as soon as that ice goes out, uh, it's game on and your your tactics are pretty much going to be uh, similar to what they are uh, in the late fall uh, early winter you know the water temps are still going to be pretty cold fish aren't going to be chasing as well but you got to remember you've got fresh fish pushing in uh, whereas in late winter the fish have pretty much stopped coming in the fish that that, that were going to come in are there uh, so you don't have the fresh fish you've got holdover fish right So there's going to be a little bit of a difference in the aggressiveness, uh, in that cold water, but still the water's going to be cold. Fish will be a little bit more lethargic. Um, and then, you know, the water can warm, uh, far quicker, uh, than what most people realize. I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen water temps, uh, jump five to 10 degrees in one day, uh, when the sun comes out and is beaten down hard. So, um, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of anglers, don't realize the water temp can can shift that quick. Now, ten degrees is going to be pretty drastic, uh, but before five degrees, that's nothing in a day. If you've got clear skies and the sun comes out, and that can make a huge difference in how those fish are going to react. So, watching the weather forecast can really can really help you out too. Uh, you know, because if you're not a, if you're not the guy who can be out there all day long, and you've just got you know, say a half day, you're like, man, I'm going to burn a half day vacation. You know, watch your weather, see what it's going to do. The water temps are cold and uh, it's supposed to be warm in the afternoon. You may may want to hold off, wait for that morning crowd to get off the stream and get out there right after lunch and and hit that afternoon, uh, you know, uh, stretch and allow that sun to kind of help you out. Because as that water warms, the fish will become a little bit more aggressive and uh, be more willing to move to a fly.
0: Got it. And, you know, always, it's always interesting to me to, to talk to steelheaders, you know, obviously you want to do whatever you need to do to catch fish, but if you had your preference, would you prefer to fish for them swinging flies or would you rather nymph them up?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I guess you're asking me that question directly. So at at this point with where I'm at, uh, in my career and my fly fishing experience, I would, I would definitely rather swing them. um, you know, when you're, when you're first starting out, uh, you know, you're younger fly fishermen or, or, or the guys who are newer to fly, newer to steelheading. It's all about the numbers game. You know, that's, that's the luxury I guess that we have here on steelhead alley is we've got numbers, uh, in other locations, they may not have the numbers. and So a lot of guys up here are all about the numbers. And, uh, you know, I've had some guys criticize me over the years cause I'm like, you know, I'm just not all about the numbers. They're like, Oh, you're one of those guys. And I'm like, no, I'm not one of those guys. I just, I would rather take quality over quantity, and uh, you know, there's the old adage the tug is the drug, and uh, the tug that you get on a swing is not the same that you get on running an, an, an indie rig. You know, with a couple of uh, you know a couple of flies, you know, under the split shot, it's just not. Uh, you know, as I as I have taught a lot of anglers how to how to swing flies, how to properly not just not how just how to spay cast, but how to properly swing. Uh, a fly. Uh, I always tell my guys, you know, after you've made your cast strip back about 12 inches of line between your, uh, between your cork and your reel. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I call it a shock absorber loop. And they're like, for what? I'm like, "So so the fish doesn't jerk the rod out of your hand. And they're like, come on, seriously. And I'm like, yeah, seriously. I'm like, if you're not paying attention and a fish hits you hard enough, they'll jerk the rod right out of your hand. They're like, no way. A few years ago. I had it proven right in front of me. Guy was fishing his own rod and reel, and uh, we were in a real nice run, and he had, he had made a great cast. He had set the cast up, and he's fishing it, and he's, he's kind of looking over his shoulder talking to me. That's one of the, one of the good, cool things about swinging a fly. You don't necessarily have to watch so much as, as uh, you would with an indie rig presentation. And he's sitting there talking to me, and he didn't have that shock absorber loop like I had told him to have. And a fish came up and crushed that fly so hard, it jerked the whole rod and reel right out of his hand it hits the water disappears. And he looks back at me. I mean, he was just about scooping water with his mouth because it was hanging open so far. And he's like, he's like, what do I do? I'm like, it's your rod and reel. You better go after it. Right. He starts charging downstream, looking for it. And all of a sudden, thankfully the reel was heavy enough that it contacted the bottom and caused the rod tip to just break the surface. And he could see the rod tip. And so he charged for it, reached down to the water and was able to grab the rod as it was heading out into the hole. And, uh, and when he pulled it up out of the water, I told him, I said, "Come tight, back up." He comes tight, and the fish is still there. We actually landed the fish. Uh, and I, I think I probably got that somewhere on our uh, on our Facebook page back a number of years. Uh, I think we actually took the took the picture of the fish and actually told the story on uh, on Facebook, maybe. But uh, true story, you know. So I would much rather. Uh, uh, swing up steelhead and 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 one of the new things a lot of guys are starting to do which is which is equally as is fun is is stripping flies for steelhead
0: very very cool any other um suggestions you want to share for you know just the regular joe steelhead angler that can help them be a little bit more effective on the water
1: oh yeah Uh, the most important rule in fishing is this if it's not working, change something. So that's the rule that I live by. That's the rule that I guide by. And that's what I teach all of my clients. If it's not working, change something. That can mean change your fly. That can mean change your tippet size. That may mean change the speed of your presentation, uh, the depth at which you're presenting those flies. Uh, the, uh, if I didn't already say it, the speed at which you, you present those flies. Uh, if it's not working, change something because the, uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So, uh, that's the best advice that I could give anybody, uh, fishing in any style. Um, don't, don't con- don't continue to just flail the water, uh, minute after minute, hour after hour. Uh, if it's not working, man, uh, understand it's not working and find what is because there's something on any given day. Uh, there's, there's something out there that's going to work. Um, you know, the other, the other important thing that I did mention, it's not all about presentation. Sometimes it's about location, right? So if, if you're not catching something there, uh, change your location, but, uh, change nonetheless.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, I've heard a lot of great things uh, about you guys. I haven't had a chance to fish with you. Um, but, uh, to let our listeners know just kind of what, what is a day on the water like with Sao, and how's it different from other outfitters?
1: Oh man, how's it, how's it, di- well, a day on the water, you know, it's going to begin around sunup. Um, you know, there, there is pressure on steelhead alley. Uh, and so, you know, I wouldn't say that we, uh, that we always get into a foot race. Um, but we do try and be there on the water before, before the general public does. Now it doesn't mean we go stand on water for hours before the sun comes up, but we're going to get down there about the time the sun's coming up so that we can get get the best crack at some of the best fish and the best holes. Um, but, uh, when you're out there on the water, I I can tell you this, you can expect to spend your day with somebody who's very professional, um, and, uh, and polished and good at what they do. Um, i'm I'm extremely picky uh, about who we allow. Uh, you know we Greg and I uh, did this for uh, about 11 years together. and uh, we we watched a number of people come and go uh, and, and some really, really fishy guys, you know, a lot of people like to use that term. Um, but somebody told me a long time ago uh, when I first started guiding uh, because you know when I was coming into it and, and interested in it, you know, I thought it was all about being the fishiest guy. Right. And, uh, and somebody that had been in the industry for a a long time said, Patrick, if there's one thing you need to understand, it's this guiding, isn't about being the fishiest guy. Guiding is about people skills. And, uh, he says, if you know how to catch fish, you can put anybody on fish, but not everybody can be a people person. And so when you come out with an SAO guide, not only are you going to have, uh, you know, somebody that's professional, And somebody that's fishy, uh, but hopefully you're going to have an experience with somebody who's polished. Uh, they're, they're polite. Uh, they're going to do the very best they can to show you the very best day they can. They're going to be honest with you. Uh, and I'll be honest with you. There's some guys out there that flat out aren't honest with you. And, um, and we, we tell, we tell our guys, listen, if, if we tell you we're going to fish today, the reason we're telling you we're going to fish today is because we think there's a chance at catching fish. And some people look at the water and they're like, man, I don't know. That looks like that water's got an awful lot of color in it. And we're like, yeah, but if it had too much color, we'd have left you sitting in the truck and told you don't waste your money. So if we're here, it's because we know there's a chance of catching these fish. And we've had a lot of people be very surprised at the end of the day as to how many fish they actually caught. And so uh, we still believe that uh, everybody works hard for their money. Um, And we don't take... uh, I don't like to spend somebody's money just because I can, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And and, and we kind of tell our guides that too. So um, we want people to have the very best day they can and, uh, and know that when they come off the water at the end of the day, that they say, man, that was the best money I could have ever spent. And so how do we, uh, you know, how's that going to be different from, uh, from everybody else? Um, You know, Marvin, I could, I could sit here and tell you stories. Uh, that clients have told us about competition. Um, but one thing, that, uh, one thing that Greg and I have done for years and years and years is uh, we've always tried to keep our heads down and plow ground and not worry about what other people say about us or what other people um, think about us. Uh, we've always tried to make it a habit of, of not comparing ourselves to others because we want to be the ones that everybody is trying to compare themselves to and uh and so um we like to think that everything we do we do is going to be a step above um i can't say that it always is you know but i can say that that's what we're shooting for uh and so that's just kind of the the spirit behind sao is uh we want to be the very best out there uh that we can be and i think that our track record and our reputation precedes itself and uh so yeah, I think that that's kind of what helped us shine. And 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 the other thing that people say to us over and over and over and over again, including people who want to work for us, is they're like, we have never seen an outfitter that works as a team like you guys do. And I'm and I'll just be flat out honest with you: if you can't work as a team, and you want to be that hot rod, you know, solo hot shot. This is not the place for you, man. We won't tolerate that. We firmly believe that together we're stronger than any one individual. And that's the philosophy that we work by. And I think that does right by our clients too.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's such an incredible strength too, because, you know, and I can remember, you know, I interviewed Schultze about a year ago and he was talking about the same thing where like, you got, you know, everybody's out trying something different, fishing different places and comparing notes so that everybody's clients can have the best day possible on the water. So, so I I always ask all of uh, my guide guests to share what they think the biggest misconception people have about the life of a fishing guide.
1: (laughs) Well, I think you kind of hit on that earlier. They're like, if if I've, if I've heard this once, I've heard it 10,000 times. Like, man, you've got the best job in the world and you get to fish all the time. I'm like, uh, correction. Since I became a fishing guide, I fish far less than I ever did because I don't have time to fish for myself. I said, I fish vicariously through my clients, you know? And, uh, they're like, seriously, I'm like, yeah, I said, I said, I've caught like, you know, five steelhead in the last two weeks. And they're like, how's that? I'm like, cause the client handed me the rod and said it was a rock, <laughs> 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 you know? So yeah, that's probably the biggest misconception about fishing guides is that, you know, like, man, you got the best job in the world. You must fish all the time. I'm like, no, I take people fishing. All the time. time. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's the truth. And, uh, so yeah, that's probably the, that's probably the number one.
0: Yeah. That's pretty funny. I'm going to see. So we've talked for a while. I'm going to see if I can get you to throw your opinion in on the whole East Coast, West Coast steelhead, uh, conversation.
1: Yeah. So, uh, my opinion is that there's, there's, there's really no comparison. Uh, you know, and, and anybody that wants to compare it, uh, I think is, is short sighted. Uh, you know, there's no doubt. Uh, that, uh, the West Coast steelhead, you know, is where they originated, you know, West Coast steelhead are, are wild fish. Uh, you know, they travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, you know, uh, one of our previous guides and, and one of my best friends, uh, Ben Barger, uh, just bought uh property, prime property up on the Clearwater in Northern Idaho. You know, and by the time those fish have come from the ocean and hit the Clearwater, i like, I mean, it's somewhere between 500 and a thousand miles, I think, you know, so there really is no comparison between that fish, uh, what they would call a B run, you know, steelhead out there in those, those, uh, Western streams and the steelhead that we've got here. There just isn't where we shine is the fact that, you know, you can go out there and fish for steelhead for a week and, and get a couple of grabs. You know, maybe land a fish in a week, you know, and your diehards, man, they would say it's, it's it's absolutely worth it. And I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing that it is or that it isn't, um, but you can't compare West coast steelhead to Midwest because the reason people come here is because they don't have to go fish for an entire week, hoping to hook a fish. They can come up here and, uh, and, and they're going to get shots at fish. Uh, I mean, Uh, I think the youngest individual, uh, that we have ever taken out steelhead fishing was five years old. And we actually, uh, had that young man doing a basic roll cast. Uh, you know, obviously didn't teach him the depths of spay casting, but he was actually doing uh basic roll cast and swinging flies. And and he actually got an awesome grab one day and landed uh, a fish on the swing, right? Five years old you're not going to get a five-year-old catching a fish, uh, out in, out in a Western river. You're just not, you know? And so our streams here, uh, are far more forgiving to beginners. Uh, you're gonna have far more shots at fish. Uh, it's it, it definitely, um, if you want to say more user friendly, uh, to all levels of experience, um, from the you know, rank beginners to, uh, those that have traveled all over the world. And so, you know, I got, I've got all the respect in the world uh, for those West Coast steelhead. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's tragic what's going on out there right now. I mean, they just shut down the steelhead season uh, last year uh, out in Idaho. Uh, and and I've, I've talked with a lot of guides that actually guide on some of the waters out there in Oregon. And uh, and they flat out tell me it's not even worth it anymore. Uh, the numbers of fish that are coming back have dropped so drastically. Um, I guess this is the opportunity to kind of throw a plug in, you know. Um, our government, our politicians need to take note, man. There's things that need to change because some of our fisheries out there are unhealthy and they've got to make changes or some of these fish are going to go away. And I think in recent years, uh you know the the fly uh fly fishing film tour you know and you know the 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 uh film that came out damnation you know that kind of highlighted um i think it was that that film that highlighted the Elwha dam that came down um and how the salmon returned to their their native uh spawning habitat far earlier than uh, anybody ever could have imagined you know there's things that need to happen out there for that fishery to come back to a place uh, of true viability and uh so getting back to your original question not to run down too long of a rabbit trail there's really no comparison i've got mad respect for those west coast fish and uh to be honest with you i've not had the chance to to, uh, to fish for one um i hope to uh, be out there fishing with my buddy ben on the uh, clear water uh here soon and uh get me one of those big b-run fish i'll be happy to hook one and fight it uh, i'll be even happier if i get to land it and, and uh and uh look at it with my uh my own eyes up close. But um yeah, here in the Midwest, man, you can you can just come and uh there are times it's uh it's unfortunate that we have as many fish as we do because it teaches people to believe that steelheading is something that it originally wasn't. But one of the benefits is is that we've got as many fish as we've got. And so people are always gonna have a chance at cracking a fish. Um you know, one of the things that we guarantee our clients is we'll always put you on fish. I don't think that they can tell you that out West. You know, there's just not that many fish. So we can, we can guarantee we'll put you on fish. Can't guarantee you're going to catch those fish, right? That's up to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So talking about putting people on fish, you know, we're right on the cusp of uh steelhead season this year. How's your God calendar look?
1: Looking pretty good. You know, with the whole COVID, uh, madness, I don't know what else to call it with all of that going on uh you know i think a lot of people have been uh, early on i think people were skeptical as to what was going to happen i mean a lot of you know a lot of the states shut down our guide services for the spring so uh that did happen for us um we were only a couple 2 3 weeks into our season when we uh, when we finally shut operations down uh pennsylvania mandated it ohio did not but we just felt uh, as one of the leading uh outfitters in the midwest we needed to uh kind of lead by example and so we shut down and uh and in short order the majority of everybody else did as well but we were kind of skeptical as what was going to happen for this fall but i think guys have just gotten to the place where they're like man if i'm not going to do anything else i'm going to fish you know and so our, our bookings are actually looking really strong um you know i would say they're on par with it with a normal season so we're uh we're happy and uh we're looking forward to a to a great uh fall season uh and we'll see what, uh, we'll see that the weather brings us.
0: Absolutely. And so what's the best way for folks to reach out and book a trip and to, uh, follow the adventures of SAO on the water?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're on social media, so you can find us on Facebook, uh, or, uh, Instagram. Uh, that's the easiest way to kind of see some of the, uh, the most recent things that we, uh, we're doing. Um, if you wanted to book a trip with us or, or just inquire about our services, uh, the best way to get a hold of us is either, uh, by phone or email. Uh, you can reach us at, uh, one 453 5899 or you can reach me, uh, personally by email at team, T-E-A-M, at com. And, uh, either one of those, uh, will get me in, in fairly short order and, uh, be happy to answer any questions and, and, uh, talk about fishing.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, listen, Patrick, I really appreciate you spending some time with me this evening.
1: Uh, My my pleasure, man. Thanks for uh, inviting me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. You too. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review in the podcatcher of your choice. And a big thank you to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Norvice please visit www.nor-vice.com today. Tight lines, everybody.